Welcome to the Faith FX Podcast. I'm Bernie Vandewall. I'm Mark Buchanan. And this is where faith and life meet. Welcome back to Faith Effects. I'm Mark Buchanan. And I'm not. No, <laughs> if you're from the 70s, that's really funny. Uh, I'm Bernie Vandewall. When I open class in prayer, I often talk about the ability to work well, to sleep well, and to play well, that the Lord would, would give the students all those things. They could be industrious, but they would also find time to sleep, and that they would take some time just to blow off steams, all, all steam, just to, uh, just to keep a good balance in their lives. That's really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I love getting out on a motorcycle, but, but I do other things. I, I try to play well. So that's a yeah. good... And, and that's a good setup, I think, Bernie, for our guest today, uh, who's written a lot about uh, just living a healthy life, a life with proper rhythms uh, that we're not so obsessing over our, say, our work or our mm -hmm. ministry in ways that actually we become ineffective at it because something in our character gets damaged. To tell us a bit about the guests that we have on today. Well, it's interesting to me that, that uh, our guest, Pete Scazzaro, and you and I have things in common. Right. So uh, he actually taught English before he was a pastor and started uh, church planting. I didn't know planting. that. I did, yeah, no, actually no, no. taught okay. English, and you have a yeah. degree in English. That's my background. Uh, he was born and raised in Jersey, New Jersey, as or and, and I lived there. I'm, oh, that's, okay. That, that's about as I'm, far okay. as I Going. So I don't have that in common. No, but I we have flown out of New Jersey airport. Oh, so, and yeah. isn't it glorious? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, but but Pete life. and I also have a great affinity for the work of uh, a late theologian, Tom Oden. And actually, uh, I met Pete for the first time at a conference uh, not long ago uh, in New York City in honor of Thomas Oden. And we struck up a conversation over coffee uh, and uh, uh, had this uh, instant affinity and actually... Pete is in part responsible for this podcast because he asked me, assuming that I had one, if I had one. And I said, no, some guys are talking about it. Maybe we should do it. But, oh, you got to do it, he said. And I said, oh, oh, OK. So Pete, of course, has his own podcast. He has his own blog and he has so much more. Uh, and I'm just so very thankful that he's managed to work us into his very, very busy schedule. Well, let's get him on the program. Welcome, Pete Scazzaro. Pete, I uh, have used your books in my classes. I have used them when I was um, a pastoring and with pastoral staff. I have highly recommended them. They've helped me deeply personally. I'm thinking about emotionally healthy church, the emotionally healthy church, and emotional healthy spirituality. But these stories, uh, these books have a backstory. Maybe you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit of the backstory to how you ended up writing on the subject. Uh, I pastor a church. Well, I, I planted a church in New York City, the inner city of New York, uh, after having been on varsity staff for a few years and. Uh, in 1987, and uh, we were a church that was planting churches, not just our church. And uh, again, after about six, seven years, we were growing very rapidly, you know, launching new churches. And it was very evident to me that the discipleship and leadership development that we were involved in was shallow, uh, and that everything I'd been trained in as a good, you know, evangelical pastor through seminary, all the leadership conferences. Even my parachurch work in the varsity, which I loved all of it, by the way, was inadequate 
for the challenges that uh, we were facing and making deeply changed disciples who would then multiply themselves out. And uh, so, and again, we were in a very, you know, uh, uh, an inner city, poor area, uh, very multiracial. And it was, it was very evident the limits of, I would just call it my evangelical discipleship paradigm to that point. And so that, what happened was I, then I hit a, a wall in my own personal life. I uh, was exhausted, burning out. Uh, one of our churches had a split. I was very angry about that. All this stuff going on internally, didn't know what to do with it. And my marriage wasn't going well. And so, you know, the combination personally and then church-wise provoked a crisis. And in, in a nutshell, God met me in this uh, journey uh, of wrestling personally and then with our whole discipleship leadership development model and what was launched was something we call today Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And uh, it started in 1996 uh, and it was so personally transforming and then our local church transforming and our mission transforming that I eventually began to write on it and it turned out that there was a resonance for this kind of, we were doing contextualized theology, I'd say in context, and there was just a resonance around the world for it. And so to our surprise, it wasn't just we who were screwed up in New York, which is what my initial thought was. And uh, it turned out, oh, we have a, we have a global problem here. And so that's really, that's in a nutshell, my story. And so I've been pioneering this uh, here for now 20, I guess, 23 years. And that's been a wonderful journey and, and writing and developing materials out of that. Oh, cool. Great. Um, Bernie here. Uh, Pete, the name Emotionally Healthy Discipleship uh, sounds great. I, I'm sure publishers I've worked with would tell you that the title alone would sell books. But tell me, what does it mean? That is, how do you get there from Scripture? How do you get there from the gospel? Maybe even how do you get there from church history? Yeah, and actually what's so funny, Bernie, is that when I first uh, made that title Emotionally Healthy Church was in the first book, and emotional discipleship, the publishers were dead against it. Oh, they really? They didn't want it. Because oh. They said, no one's going to buy a book called Emotionally Healthy. This was 2003. And I said, well, it doesn't matter because it's the right word. Uh, and I'll tell you how I got this word emotional health from because it's, it's so important. Uh, I was a big history, always a big history buff, uh, both in university and then through seminary and all throughout the years. And one of my closest friends is a friend of yours, Scott Sunquist. Right. Um, you know, church historian. So I, I've been studying and reading churches every year. And so when I hit a wall in, in 1996 and, uh, you know, God really met Jerry and I, my wife, uh, and I went back to my professors and tried to wrestle with what was missing in my discipleship. Uh, what was, ha what was a problem? And, and basically I ended up with my professor at, I was at Princeton for a year, uh, Augustinian professor. And he said, Oh, well, the problem is, and I'm my Old Testament professor in Hebrew, mm -hmm. uh, but basically said, you're, because you're a Neoplatonist, you know, and he goes, uh, it goes back to Augustine and, and church history about why we ignore the emotional component okay. of who we are as image, image bearers made in the image of God. So I went on this long journey studying Neoplatonism, Augustine, and why is it that our discipleship is so truncated, uh, so intellectually, you know, so active, overly active right. in the Protestant church. Yeah. And then also just ignores the whole emotional component. Oh, so, okay. I, so what it did was it, 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 it took me on a journey and uh, of how we got here historically. And it got me deep in church history in terms of the division between the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic church. Uh, 
Well, first of all, the yeah, Roman Catholic Church in 10, 1054, then the split the Protestant Church in 1517, and then, then the tens of thousands of splits since then. And just just grasping, how did we get here to this kind of a, I'll call it a North American, Western paradigm of discipleship that I would consider very narrow uh, and does not encompass what it means to be made in the image of God as whole people, you know, intellectual beings, social beings, spiritual beings, emotional beings. And so I spent my first seven years from 96 to 2003 saying, what does it mean to actually bring transformation to a person's life in just the emotional arena? And then since then, I've kind of branched out. But that's why this word emotional health to me is not was never meant to be a marketing word. In fact, they were against it. It was actually meant to be a theological word. Right. Um, yeah. How we understand what it means to be human. Pete, I'm thinking about the the wild popularity of these books. At least they've been hugely popular among many Christians and certainly many church leaders. Uh, it's brought, I would imagine, a cost to you where you've gone from a pastor in Queens to somebody who's known internationally and in demand as a speaker, et cetera. And so ironically, it would seem to me that as you write more about the contemplative life and emotional health, the books and the the kind of notoriety it's brought you has probably increased the demands on your energy and time. Would that be true? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I'd say that um, uh, I've grown and I think my ability to say no and set limits, I, I don't feel, I don't feel that. Very good. I, 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 that's I, I really wanted to probe that with you because I, I mean I'm thinking personally I've I've uh, written a bit on kind of the contemplative life whatnot and I I've realized that I've had to kind of live out the things I've <laughs> written yeah. about. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I think one of the things most helpful actually in your book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality was that whole sense of coming to terms with our limitations. No, I, I would see that. The whole Christian um, celebrity market and all that, like it doesn't, uh, you know, to me, it's just, it's the opposite of Jesus. I mean, you know, and so it's, no, it's not a problem for me because I, I, my life is pretty anchored. I, I, I'm limited. My first calling is to be a contemplative, you know, right. to, to seek his faith. I'm reading, you know, I'm reading the Canticles by John of the Cross right now. And I just love when I just wanted my time with God to talk about how like, you know, being being with people is a distraction <laughs> from <sighs> being with you know my my groom Jesus. You know, I'd say, I'd say what evangelical would write like this guy John of the Cross in the 1500s. You know, just incredible passion for the person of Jesus. And I think just I feel like those writings and those mentors have kept me anchored and helped me. Being married helps too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to Jerry, someone like Jerry, but uh, that's why I'm still in a local, the same local church for 30 years. I'm just, you know, it's my community, you know, and it's, um, it's nice, you know, it's, it's just kind of, no one cares who I am here. And so I don't see myself as like a well-known person. Like I don't, I'm not traveling in those, I'm not really on circuit. Um, yeah, I do some selective speaking, but very limited. Yeah. Thank you. That's very helpful. It's helpful for me personally, because I'm always intrigued by how, uh, a writer, speaker uh, actually embodies and lives out that which they write and speak about. So I, I appreciate your honesty and uh, reflection on that. Well, one more question. You talked about how you discovered as you began to write about this, that this was not just a New York problem or a Pete Scazzaro problem, but it was global. Um, could you sp say a bit more about to the 
the itch that you're scratching or the need that you're meeting and, and what that looks like? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, if I could put it, I don't want to offend anybody, but I, I think the, the core of the issue that itch that I touched again, just out of my own journey was that we are part of a global church and while I am deeply ecum- deeply evangelical theologically, um, I am broadly ecumenical. And by that, I mean that I'm, we're, we are part of one holy Catholic and apostolic church, going back to the Nicene Creed. And if, unless we learn from other traditions, I'm talking about Roman Catholic and Orthodox, monastic, outside of our own tradition, I, I, I just... I just I think that our transformation and discipleship and these developments going to be limited. It can be so westernized, numbers, control, big, big is better. We just can't see straight. And I, I think what I've done in my journey, again, I, I didn't really just kind of happened, which was, I think I've made simple uh, and accessible through a local church format, uh, significant truths from church history and the global church from other traditions and brought them into our evangelical charismatic tradition uh, in a way that people can relate to it without being scared. Um, I think that's, that's the itch I probably touched and, and I bring slowing down for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, which, which to me, you have to go to monasticism, not just uh, the Dallas Willard, but have more spiritual discipline, but you need something more drastic. And then I think the emotional component, emotional health component really is um, the focus on love, becoming a loving person. I think we've done a lot of work on how do you develop skills? How do you develop, how do you move people along and actually get discipled in relationships and brokenness? And um, I, I think the two things together are very explosive. And I, the younger generation in particular loves EH discipleship because they want something broken, experiential, vulnerable, and I think the way my generation has done church, I, I think it's kind of over for the next generation. They're not really that interested in it. Uh, I, I saw a 20-something student here on campus. We're at Ambrose uh, University. I saw a 20-something student with your book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and they, I asked them what they thought of it, and they absolutely loved it. So it really is speaking to a generation that I think is a greater openness to this eclecticism and ecumenism and this drawing on the wisdom from the ages. Pete, I'm thinking about right now a listener. I'm imagining a listener tuning into this this conversation. And they, uh, they're a Christian leader and they realize that they are in an un- emotionally unhealthy place. Uh, all the, the things you discuss in your book about not really facing my limits, not grieving well, um, d- not dealing with my anger, all of those things. And they realize they're in that unhealthy place. What piece of advice would you give that person right now in terms of beginning to come to this place of, of abiding with Christ and, and relearning the rhythms? Well, I think I probably would say, um, you know, a few things. One is um, to, to begin to recognize there's an enormous problem. Uh, and it's, it's for you personally, not just the wider church, and that this is not a, there's no quick fix for this. This is, we're talking about a whole, there's a need for a whole new paradigm, a whole new 
way of how we're following Jesus and how we understand ourselves. And this is, there's no program. There's no silver bullet. We're talking about a significant paradigm shift. And that I feel like part of my contribution is to join people like yourselves at Ambrose. Uh, we're doing significant training to help retrain the next generation for the challenges that are in front of us. And um, people got to get retrained and re-equipped and it's going to be a long, slow journey. And so my work and my work continues to be develop courses and resources to train. Uh, my, my commitment is, is, is to transform the way the church does discipleship. Because unless that gets changed, I don't believe we can have a sustainable mission long-term around the world. And uh, so I would say that I, I would encourage to whoever your listener is to say, there's a big journey ahead of you. And you've got to like step away from comfortable shore and get in a river of God. You know, it's going to take you somewhere that you've not been before. Uh, and I think you probably, I'm sure you're doing a number of things incredibly good at Ambrose. I think we've got some pieces for you at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. And I would say it's just begin to swim in those waters. Uh, but God's going to be taking you to new places. I can I promise them that. Excellent. And, you know, uh, Bernie back again, you know, you, you talked about being ecumenical and, and maybe sort of being out of evangelical waters there. But just as a quick comment, if I might, I actually think that puts you deep in evangelical waters. Uh, you know, when I think about some of the most influential evangelical leaders of the 19th and 20th centuries, D.L. Moody, uh, Billy Graham, A.B. Simpson, Mark Buchanan, uh, they were all people who, who were firmly grounded in their own tradition, but uh, both drew on and, uh, and related well to uh, those of other traditions. And of course, the whole parachurch organizations, all those that sprung up parachurch ministries uh, and missions that, that came up, uh, all you know, drew on and cooperated with others. So um, not exactly sure who our, in, our, I know who our intended audience for this podcast was. I'm not sure who it is, but I, I, I got a question. This is undoubtedly a, a, a concern both for lay people and for pastors, uh, yet it would seem to me that pastors might have challenges that are particularly peculiar to their calling and their responsibilities in this area. Am I off base? Am I right? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think pastors have got to get equipped, re-equipped, um, so they can bring to the people truth. So, for example, when someone comes to me and says, I, I'm a big believer in that we've got to learn from the contemplative tradition, which in particular monasticism. Um, slowing down, silence, daily offices, you know, I'm very, you know, we built these courses and some of the riches are coming out of a, a slow down life out of some of the, you know, riches of Benedictine spirituality. And so people say, no, I can't learn from, I, you can't, I, I can't learn from these Catholics, you know, and, you, and the whole view of church history, they're all heretics, you know, and, and I'm like, that's just inaccurate. It's inaccurate. It's wrong. And so people have a many, so a pastor has a responsibility to get equipped even just to be able to explain in simple terms to people the truth about the church and that the history of the church, that there's only one church and doesn't matter what church you go to, it makes you a Christian. It's your relationship with Jesus that makes you a Christian. There's Christians in Egypt and Coptic church and Ethiopian church. I, I, I discussed it with someone recently. I said, you mean to tell me you think that with your skinny jeans and your leather jacket and your smoke machines, that you're the only church. And yet those 21 Coptic Christians who got killed on the beach by ISIS, they're lost because they have a patriarch and, the way they do Coptic liturgy in Egypt, 
Like you actually live in your suburban wealthy area with your skinny jeans and smoke machines and crowd. <laughs> you actually are sitting in judgment of these 21 martyrs. And I said, I want you to know that according to church history and Nicene Creed, you are the heretic because you actually believe you're the whole church. And that's heresy. That was, that was declared a heresy. Um, in a little the thing century. called Donatism. And I think that, that's exactly right. And, and I think we as pastors have to be unafraid to, to, to help people understand that it's not true. Church didn't start with Luther and Calvin. Um, and they had big warts themselves. Yeah. You know, anti, you know, Luther being an anti-Semite and Calvin drowning, people who believe in baptism by immersion and just dirty laundry everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and this idea of not being able to learn from people different than us is to me the death of, um, the death of, of, of the future because it's just not true. And I think that pastors need courage to lead and, you know, you don't have that fundamentalist stream as strongly in Canada as I think we do in the U S no, I think you're right. I know it's there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but that, that kind of hyper, I'll call it reformed often fundamentalist stream that to me, it's, 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 it's just wrong. And yeah. I think it's got to be called out for what it is. And, and, and the fact that church is not deeply changing people, we've got to call it it's the truth. Yeah. When there's so much of the world in the church where we're indistinguishable, we've got a massive problem. And to not, we've got to call it what it is. And, and I think we need pastors and leaders to, to lead um, and not be afraid of uh, a couple of people in the church who are going to make a big stink. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think we're at a really critical hour. I do. I I'm I'm less afraid to call it what it is because I, I love the church and I I love Jesus and I and I believe you know he's building a church in the world and the the Canadian and you know and the United States church uh, is not the center of the world. Uh, the church in China and Africa is exploding right now. I mean, it's just it's, it's God is moving despite us, and to think that we're the center of the earth is just sad. Yeah. Yeah. I had the opportunity to, uh, to put something down in writing a little while ago. Uh, and in one of the chapters, I actually talk about the threat of a resurging Donatism, uh, and, and, wow. and, and tie it with, and tie it with legalism and a, and a misunderstanding of holiness, right? That their holiness is in, wow. we do these things right. And we do those things right. And, uh, and then, we, yeah, we, we exclude everybody else. But anyway, uh, great insight. Great to hear your passion. Pete, we're going to wrap this up pretty quick, but I really love actually where you went with um, that passionate plea for us to be be teachable, be humble, learn from, uh, learn from, from many, learn from the past, learn from the saints. And partly it's actually part of emotional health. One, one thing I've found, and your books were very helpful of this, of my myself beginning a journey of deeper emotional health. And I found as I got healthier, that I got more curious and uh, more teachable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly yeah. what you're, you're telling us, that, that's, that not only are we going to become healthy by learning from some of these other traditions that we've maybe neglected, but as we become healthier, we're probably going to be more open to the insights that we glean from that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not be threatened. So, Pete, I understand it's been told to me that we're not the only podcast in the world and that actually you might have one. Is that true? I do. I do. It's called the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. 
Excellent. And it can be found on all your greatest podcast uh, locations or yeah, across yeah, the internet. Yeah. 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 Motion Healthy Leader podcast. In fact, I'll invite your listeners, I invite you guys too. Um, on our website, there's two resources worth getting for free. One is um, it's called uh, emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature. And it basically takes an assessment. Am I an emotional infant, adolescent, child, or an adult? It takes about 15, 20 minutes. And it kind of gives you a quick, where, where am I really emotionally? And the truth is, we've got a lot of emotional infants floating around in leadership. And that's worth taking. And, this, and the second is, uh, it's an ebook. It's actually on top of the, uh, of the website. If you go there, emotionallyhealthy.org, it's called uh, Six Marks of a Church Culture That Deeply Changes Lives. And it's a, it's a free ebook. And I, it's actually it's a culmination of years of work of, what is it? What does a church culture look like that deeply changes lives? And and um, you know things like a slow down spirituality, integrity and leadership, healthy community, um, beneath the surface discipleship. You know these kind of qualities. And it's just a it's a it's a, it's a piece. I'd love to hear you guys' feedback on it because I think I think we need to give people a vision of a culture, not a size, but a culture of a church. And then we got to say how are we going to get there. And so it's if you go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. You'll get it. Excellent. Uh, and uh, I would just take a look at it. And uh, I think a lot of you, the very, I don't know, what you're doing at Ambrose is very important. And uh, a seminar like yours, and you got some wonderful people there. Uh, and uh, a vision, I think a vision for a culture, what a church can be and needs to be. Um, I'd be interested to hear your feedback on that as well, because it's the best of my thinking over the years. And I'd be curious of your thoughts on it. Pete, thank you so much for giving us your time this afternoon. I, I pray that all will go well with you today and in the, uh, the coming days. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you here with us. And on behalf of Mark Buchanan and Bernie Vandewall, that's been another edition of Faith FX. Looking for a collection of resources to help your church or ministry succeed? Ambrose at Large is an initiative of Ambrose Seminary committed to sharing resources and learning opportunities. Visit at large.ambrose.edu for more information.